Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JML Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we've got Will Pappenfuss back on the show. Will, we've had him on before. He's a Bemidji, Minnesota guy where he lives and works. He also travels as a tournament angler. Uh, Last time we had him on, we were talking open water stuff. Uh, Will, again, being in that northern Minnesota, you know, Bemidji, um, he's surrounded by a ton of lakes and a ton of great fishing. And northern Minnesota, this time of year, you know, early ice, the conversation really, really revolves around Upper Red Lake. We're going to get a great update from Upper Red Lake uh, from Will. And he's got a ton of really fun stories about years past and all of his experience uh, fishing on Red Lake and, you know, years past and just some great recommendations, things that he's learned and just the, you know, just how he attacks and strategizes fishing up Red Lake early ice uh, to be successful. So a great Red Lake conversation there. And then we're going to give Lake of the Woods a little bit of love again. It's early ice right now. A lot of stuff is just barely popping off or, or, or it hasn't even popped off yet. And, uh, you know, Lake of the Woods, big body of water, super popular ice fishing destination in the Midwest. We're going to get a great early ice update. And, and again, just some great recommendations and some reflection on Will's experience up there. Uh, so, yeah, just some great Red Lake stuff, a little bit of Lake of the Woods stuff. Very popular topic of conversation right now in the fishing world here in the Midwest. Let's do it. Will Pappenfuss. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 Suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your Cold Snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology, wear this Cold Snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice, or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system, we're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories again. Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFlow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves cold snap performance gear hoodies event soft shell jackets and vests all of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com that link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners this podcast is brought to you by northland fishing tackle northland is a brand you can trust since the beginning they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high quality components most importantly When you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Uh, This early ice Red Lake conversation for you, man, what kind of experiences do you have up there? And, uh, you know, just, just what are some of the hot topics around that, man? Yeah, um, not as much as I used to just because of work and everything else and trying to avoid crowds. But back when I went to Bemidji State, I went there from 2014 to 2018. And 
Living in Bemidji is one of the best central hubs, arguably probably the best central hub to live in if you love catching walleyes because you have Leech, you have Cass, you have Winnie, you have Red, you have Lake of the Woods, you have Bemidji, you have Ottertail County, you have, you know, you could go up to Winnipeg, it's only four hours from here. You know, you can drive out down to Pool 4, that's only like three, four hours from here. I mean, you have everything, you know, within driving distance just living in Bemidji. So in the wintertime, back in college, we used to, sorry, mom, we used to skip class quite a bit just to go up and fish red quite a bit in the winter, you know, and then I worked on leech in the summer. So we pretty much lived on red from, you know, Thanksgiving weekend till middle of December, Christmas, something like that. But uh, we used to go to Thanksgiving and we'd have a group text going and say, all right, we're leaving at noon after we eat. We <laughs> run back up to Red Lake to go stay for a four-day weekend. Right basically. on, man. Right on. So, like, so Red Lake's, you know, especially back then, was kind of like a big tradition for you. I think that's true with a lot of people. Like, Red Lake, that early ice, it's just so much, like, pent-up demand. People that just want to get out somewhere and have a good chance of catching fish. You know, whether the bite's really good or not, it just seems like Red Lake, it just always gets so much participation up there, man. But I'd love to hear more stories like that, like how the fishing was back then. Yeah, it was it was off the charts, to be honest with you. We had quite a few years and got lucky where it froze clear, basically. And by that, it I mean, it wasn't blowing like 20 miles an hour when it froze up and the water clarity was maybe like two or three inches. It was, you know, over a foot at most times, which now with this year, even compared to the last like three, four years, I've been kind of dirty. And this year it froze clear before the wind hit. So the bite right now has been, you know, the same as it was back then. It's pretty outstanding right now. But we used to be able to walk out right away. We'd only walk out half a mile, a bunch of guys and. The nice thing about that time is there's not a whole lot of people and we knew some of the guys that owned and still own some of the resorts around there. So we had, you know, we'd text them be like, Hey, are you opening up? Yeah, we're going to open up right now if you want to get up here or come out right now. So we'd be like one of the first ones to be out there every year while I was going to college. And, you know, we had a little bit of advantage and walk out and pretty much had it dialed in right off the bat. So it was, I mean, we had multiple fish fries um, every week or, you know, every day we bring venison up and stuff like that. And uh, speaking of venison, I uh, probably one of the best, worst, I don't know how to describe it kind of stories. One you'll never forget happened up there. We were running from JR's to go to Westwind up to one of my buddy's other cabins that he had. And we're going and four deer in front of me. And I ended up hitting two of them oh boy. on each side on each side of the truck, and both of them did somersaults into the ditch, and we just stopped, and they got up and just ran off like nothing happened. And I was like, "Did that just happen?" I got out, there was nothing, like no scratch marks, nothing. I'm like that was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. And before that, my buddies had taken my truck down to Black Duck to I don't know if they were getting food or what they were doing, but I'm like, "Yeah, I just put gas in it because my lights on." Well, they came back and forgot to put gas in. So we had to go. I was like, all right, well, we should be able to make it to the wash kiss gas station, maybe. Oh, well, boy. we didn't. We ran We ran out of gas. Oh, man. So I had to call a buddy of mine to run from JR's with a tow strap and uh, hooked it up and was told me to, to the wash kiss gas station. And I was telling my buddy, I'm like, you know, it would be really funny if 
a deer like ran in between the toe strap and just like we just hit it like head on and i'm not kidding you not 10 minutes after that i look out and see this deer in the ditch and i was like there's no way this thing runs and hits the toe strap and flies straight up in the air and like of course i can't stop you know because i'm getting yeah you're being towed but yeah, this thing hit my buddy's side of his truck for a stop, turn, try to go in between us, hits the toe strap, I smack it head on. That's like, a, that's a never been done before scenario. That's like a one in a billion to have two deer run into you and then run out of gas. Like, they're like two traumatic incidences that are separate from each other. You know, like yeah. like two totally different sad things that could happen to you, <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but they happen together or like this simultaneously, and now you're just being towed, and uh, uh, you know because you ran out of gas, not because you like hit the two deer, you know, just because you ran out of gas, and now you've hit a third deer. Yeah, and like we roll we we roll into the gas station like another three miles on the road and. We're laughing so hard that we fell out of the truck laughing at the gas pump, like just rolling in the parking lot. And they're like, what happened? And I'm like, you're never going to believe it. <laughs> oh, man. You'll never forget that, dude. No. Oh, and then we, tur- we, so we turned around and it was okay. So we just, we, you know, we'd called the game warden or whatever and got a tag and we tagged it and brought it back. And that next morning you know we had fresh venison for breakfast and then went out fishing again and had fish for lunch so it turned out good oh man dude that's wild dude that is wild you'll never forget that but red lake is one of those that kind of it's kind of the best of a lot of that stuff it's a tradition for a lot of people it's a destination right people travel to it um and it's also can the bite can be good like you described you know conditions talking about you know, the conditions when the lake freezes over has a big impact on how the bite is right away. Tell me more about that. I'm sure if you fished there for years, you saw that dirty chocolate milk water. What do you got to do when it's like that? Uh, what I usually do is I use rattle baits a lot of the time early season because the fish are so aggressive. And for fishing, just because basically you're just fishing a basin, basically. I mean, there's a few inside turns and there's a couple little points and rock piles and stuff like that, but most of the time those fish are just roaming and I kind of compare it to the guys that fish Winnipeg. They like to fish ice heaves. They like to fish any crut, you know, ice piled up, anything like that, that those fish kind of cruise along and it's the same out there. So if you can find any pressure ridges, if you find any ice that's piled up, definitely fish around those because the bait's going to be around there because the light penetration through there kind of draws the bait over there and the fish will be right behind them. Hmm. Yeah, man, and like and like you said, this year conditions are pretty, um, you know, you know, you know, favorable, if you will. Um, it wasn't really turned up. It wasn't really a disaster during freeze up. So you got decent conditions, and there's definitely been some good fishing reports coming out of there. Like, 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 what are you hearing nowadays? Like, if we could break down what the bites like now. Uh, or the conditions, you know, for this year are like, and just like what people are doing to be successful. Yeah. So right away off the bat, um, the shiners are going to be tucked in close to shore right off the first break, uh, right off kind of where they were set up for fall until, you know, you get probably around a foot of ice and then the shiners will start pushing out deeper and the fish will start pushing out to deeper water. So usually like right away, you know, that seven and a half to probably 10 feet of water to start. And then once you get a foot of ice and everything starts moving out and you get snow cover, 
then you probably want to look at that 12 to 15 foot range. But right off the bat, you don't have to go very far out. You know, maybe, you know, about a half mile. You know, that's about what we did. Just trying to get away from people. Sometimes, you know, if the theater there on a weekend and everything, everybody's just piled up right by shore, those fish might get pushed out a little bit farther. So you might want to get, you know, 100 yards, 120 yards, 150 yards away from people just so you don't have that noise from people walking or someone's got a wheeler out there right off the bat or something like that. But you just want to get away from people, kind of of just, you know, find your own little spot. Sometimes it's hard to do, but it's your best key to success is just get away from the noise, get away from the racket, especially when it's clear, there's no snow, those fish are kind of spooky. But just kind of find a little place off, find a nice little, you know, where the wind kind of piled some ice up, you know, maybe you find a nice inside turn or there's a little point kind of coming off and you look at that, you look on top. Yeah, so basically just look at the bottom structure and then look for if there's some ice pile up or stuff like that, drill some holes around there. So that's like kind of like the spot on the spot kind of thing, I like to call it. Because if you're setting up on a little point, a little inside turn, and then you see what the ice is doing on top, it's kind of get that spot on the spot kind of deal. It's just going to help you catch that many more. When you talk about getting away from the crowds or, you know, you know, just getting away from people and being on your own, what, what do you really mean by that? Cause in some cases when you're in situations where you're high pressured, sometimes just being the outside man, you know, is, is the outside edge, uh, you know, in other cases you make big moves a mile away you know, a lot of times it's somewhere in between for you on red early ice, like, like describe getting away from the crowd. I would say a good move is about probably 40 to 50 yards away. Cause we were even up on Thursday and we kind of sat out an area and we were about probably 50, 60 yards away from these guys. And I don't even know if they caught a fish at all. And we probably caught probably 20 some when we were when they were next to us for about you know an hour and a half and they picked up and moved and they probably went they were probably 150 yards from us and it's not like they started catching a few more and we were still catching them but then our spot kind of dried up so i went and drilled probably about another 50 yards away on another little sheet of kind of ice piled up and i drilled a couple holes and three of us moved over there and we just started catching them like crazy again so like you don't have it doesn't take that much of a move sometimes you're just off the school of fish it's like they could be literally just another 10 15 yards away and you'll miss them so you don't have to move super big but just move another 50 yards and just keep bouncing around until you find them you know give it 10 15 minutes if you don't mark a walleye or don't see anything move another 50 yards and like you know talking about you know the bite you feel like this year or the, the conditions that are out there, like, 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 is it an all-day bite? Is it a morning-evening bite? Like the bite window conversation. How would you describe that on red? kind of seems like, a, you know, kind of a mostly an all-day bite. I mean, usually that, like, we were fishing 9, 10 feet, so we weren't super shallow. So that early morning bite, peak bite, probably, you know, from 7 o'clock till about, you know, 8.39 would probably be really good in, like, you know, 7, 8 feet. But we set up in about 9.10 just because we got there a little bit later. And we got there probably about 9.45. And the bite was insane right off the bat from then till about 11.30. And then it kind of died till about 1 o'clock. And then it picked up a little bit till, you know, I'd say probably 3.30. And then right about 3.34, it just 
pretty much died on us. And I think all those fish just slid right back up in the seven, eight feet of water again. It sounded like the guys up shallow, you could kind of hear them getting a little squirrely and excited. So it sounded like most of those fish just pushed right back up shallow. So you can kind of gauge it off, you know, start shallow right away in the morning, moved out to that nine, 10 feet where they're kind of cruising around and then slide back in right for the evening bite again. Do you feel like you have to drill a lot of holes I mean, I'm t- I'm trying to set an example for maybe like an average bite to get some tips and tricks and the and the, the insights from you. You know, just sort of representing maybe an average bite or even you know maybe a tougher day. Do you feel like you have to drill a lot of holes? How, how would you describe some of that moving and grooving? Um, you know, the, are you real stealthy? I mean, just how, how would you describe you know your pace of fishing and how many holes you feel like you got to drill to be successful on an average day on Red Lake? Oh, uh, it's. That's kind of if if I usually throw so I'll throw either a tip up or a dead stick probably about twenty yards from me, just to kind of try and cover it. So like I say like I'm fishing an ice heave or I'm fishing a pressure ridge or something, I'll throw a dead stick probably twenty yards away from me on the other side, and then I'll set up on the other side and start drilling. And I'll give it ten fifteen minutes. If I don't catch anything, I'm moving drilling another two, and then if I'm not don't catch anything ten fifteen minutes, I'm gonna go and drill another two. So sometimes it takes. You know, there's days we've drilled, you know, 30 holes in a day at least, you know, but a lot of times you just have to sit there and wait because those pods are going to be coming through at some point. It just, you don't know exactly when. So you just have to be in the area that they're coming through. And then if you have more lines set out, so if you have that second line, you can tell which way they're kind of coming from. So say your dead stick, you catch two on a dead stick in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's like, okay, those fish are coming from that way. Maybe play hopscotch go jump on the other side another 20 30 yards or so and start jigging over there and if you start catching them there well then you know you land right on them perfect then right on do you feel like you have a an idea of like the size of these schools and how much they move like i mean what kind of catch rate do you feel like you gotta have to really feel like you're on a good enough spot not to move or not to make a big change i would say if you're not catching Say you don't, if you catch, you know, forward an hour, you're probably sitting in a pretty good spot still. Yeah. You know, like daytime time, you're talking like, like, like a non bite yeah. window situation. Like there's gotta be some fish sitting underneath you if that's the case then. Right. Yeah. Especially if it's sunny out, it seems that it, they kind of slow down a little bit or they kind of spread out and you're only having singles come in. But if it's cloudy during the day, a lot of times you're seeing one to three fish on your graph at times. Like you think you'll have one fish that comes in and looks three times and eats it. Chances are there's three or four fish that came through and that last fish bit it and that other one, those other ones didn't. Cause it's kind of cool that I haven't got to really play with live scope up there at all. And I brought it up there this last week and dropped it down. I don't know how many times I had three or four fish come through on the graph and they came through so fast that the last one came up and just crushed it. And the other three just kind of looked and swam through. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your Cold Snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology. Wear this cold snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice 
or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system. We're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories. Again, zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, hydroflow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves, cold snap performance, gear hoodies, event soft shell jackets, and vests, all of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com. That link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Dude, I think that that forward sonar, that's just another example of where we're really learning stuff as far as like how many are there and how to interpret, you know, every, every body of water has its own flavor, but definitely when you're on a, on a body of water, like red, where the fish are just roaming in spots or in areas, you know, you might be marking one, but sometimes that means there's only one. And sometimes that means there's three or four, but a lot of times if you mark one and it bites really aggressively, there's a good chance it's because it was in a wolf pack of four or five and there's, you know, the competition is there. You maybe just didn't see it. Yeah, it's kind of cool too because there's so many different fish in there. You know, there's perch, there's moon eyes, gold eyes, there's drum sheephead. Yeah, there's a little bit of everything. So you can kind of just see these big marks just kind of floating through off the side to you, or you can see them kind of just sneaking on the bottom. You know, it's just kind of cool to see um, all those fish you thought were wise that weren't eating just on a regular flasher, that there might be actually just something else that's just swimming there that's not going to eat. So it's just kind of cool to decipher it a little bit different from a different point of view compared to just using the straight flasher every time. You know, you you already kind of described, you know, one way that you really like to utilize dead sticks, helping you kind of cover water and helping you kind of find fish, um, you know, in that way. I like I like hearing that because there's definitely like, you know, the, you know, the live bait portion of a conversation is can be different for everybody. A lot of people, you know, it's a one two punch, you know, you set a dead stick up right next to you, your jig rod. That way, you know, you call them in. And maybe they want to eat the dead stick, but to get fish to come to you, you know, but uh, on a place like Red where the fish are roaming, getting it sort of satellited away from you to help you cover water and indicate where some fish might be coming from or just, you know, I like describing that. So, you know, anything else along those lines of like for you, um, you know, how often do you feel like that live bait, you know, or utilizing a set line or incorporating dead sticks was really like a deciding factor for you and, and and how much confidence does it really you know really give you in your strategy on red lake i just want to kind of lean into that with you a little bit yeah i definitely 
use it every time I go there, unless the bite is super good, that I hate running and resetting the tip up every 10, 15 minutes. But on slow days, like say you have like high pressure system comes through or you have a cold front comes through, like a, especially like January kind of time when uh, you get those negative 20, 30 degree days, a lot of those fish will come in. You can still catch them on jigs here and there. But a lot of times they'll hear, you know, your rattle bait or you'll, they'll hear your buckshot or they'll see your spoon and they'll come in and they just don't want to eat. And they'll look over and they'll see your dead stick. And I don't know how many times I've watched them come in and just disappear. And I just look over at my dead stick and all of a sudden, whoop, there it is. Instantly hits it. It's anytime you have a high pressure cold system that they're just not eating jigs. Sometimes I'll even just throw two dead sticks down when they won't eat it. But most of the time I just have one just so I can rattle them in or get some kind of attraction to get them to come in. And then nine times out of 10, when they leave, they're going to hit that dead stick. Yeah. I like, I like that story being told, you know, I like, I like that insight and just kind of how, you know, utilizing a, a minnow or a set line, you know, dead stick presentation, how you like to utilize that because, you know, everybody, everybody has different, you know, tactics and strategies, you know, different opinions. Sometimes it's just purely your personality where people just don't like having a bobber down. They just want to catch them a certain way and that's it, you know. And and if you fish hard enough, that can be really cool. But having that, you know, just having that open mind, the strategy of, well, I'm going to catch as many fish as I can regardless of how, utilizing that second line that you can, you can do in Minnesota, you know, having it help you find fish, but also, uh, you know, it helps you catch fish, especially under tougher conditions. I, I just, I think that's a great example to set, uh, and definitely something that we needed to include in this, man. Anything else like Red Lake, man? Any other good stories? Yeah. One of the best trips we had was we were the first ones to get to Center Bar, which is, is just a, the one main lake structure basically on the whole lake. And there was about, I want to say 12. 12 inches when we got there, but then about a day and a half later, it got cold enough that it made like 13, 14. So we ended up bringing a wheelhouse out there because the first day we got there, we get up, we left, uh, we were staying at the cabin on my buddy's cabin in Westland. We drove all the way down the south end of the lake to get to JR's, went to JR's, got a pass, jumped on the road. And we we're the first ones to get there. And I opened my rod box. And all my rods are tangled. And I'm sitting in a house alone, untangling rods. And I just get one tied. And then I think there was four four different houses with us out there. And we're, you know, they kind of did a sound off. Like, all right, how many you guys got? And my one buddy goes, 12. <laughs> and they're like, and I mean, this is like 10 minutes into it. Like, I just got this one rod tied up. And I was like, what? Another guy, yeah, we got eight. Oh, we got six. We got four. Like, Will, how many you got? I was like, I ain't even got a line in the water yet. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I was like, finally get my other rod tied up and dropped down. Broke off on the first one, you know? And it's just like, are you kidding me? Quick reel up. Tie my other one down. Catch one. Whatever. We all have our limit. It's been like 15 minutes. And we've thrown multiple back. And it's just like, this is crazy. Like, we got to be able to get a wheelhouse out here. And we measured it, and there was 14 inches. It was like, perfect. Yep. So we got went and got the wheelhouse, brought it out overnight. 
and we caught walleyes every drop till 3 34 a.m and tried to get at least a little sleep but like you'd have two or three fish on your graph and you could drop down just pick whatever you want and they were all 16 to 25 inches and it was i I think we caught like 550 walleyes in three days or something or two and a half days whatever it was it was just the most insane bite i've ever seen in my life and i don't know if we'll ever see it again but it was insane you know when i'm listening to that i just feel like it's what an example of uh you know, you know, having that virgin ice, like on Red Lake, when it comes down to the fishing pressure and, and um, you know, it's not a deep body of water. So all that ice traffic and all the stuff that's going on, you know, you know, so often and everything that you've already said, it's like out on Red Lake, it's so important to try to just be on the outside of all the noise or get away from get away from it, at least to some extent. But what a classic story of like like you guys epitomized that by finding a choice spot on the, a choice well known spot on the lake. Uh, so you probably knew you were gonna get into fish out there, but being the first ones, um, you know, just like I'm 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 assuming that like when you look back on it, it's like that was that one opportunity that you had to be the first ones out there. Yeah, it just all laid out perfect. It was just. Every we called uh called GRs or whatever. He's like, yeah, we're making a road out there. We just got it staked out. If you guys want to go out there tomorrow, we're gonna open it up. And we're like, uh, yeah, yeah. we want to go. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to find unpressured fish on on these 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 fish factories, these marquee bodies of water that are so popular. You know, everybody knows. Um, you know, Upper Red Lakes just loaded with fish. It's the it's the early ice tradition. Every you know, so many people are going there. Um, just, I mean, it's just such a destination. Like we don't even, you don't even have to sell that part of it. Everybody already knows. But when you go up there, how do you fish in and around a crowd? Like, like that's the conversation that you just kind of got to pound into people's head. I think that's really important and key to the whole thing. Um, you know, and, uh, and talking about, you know, your bait selection, we could maybe go into that a little bit too, because I feel like that's pretty situational. But you're talking about water clarity and when you decide to use rattle baits or, or something like that. I mean, maybe give me a little bit of a rundown. Maybe your top two or top three, you know, jig rod setups, um, you know, you know, right down to, you know, your cadence, how you like to fish. What do you feel like is the key to jigging up those Red Lake walleyes? Yeah, number one is having a good rod. Because, you know, you're fishing 7 to 10 feet of water. These fish coming in, they're aggressive, they're hungry, and they're mean. So you got to have something that's got a lot of play in it. So I was actually using, I started off playing with the new Elliott uh, Wally Perka. It's a 36 medium light. And that held up really good. And I ended up switching to a 45 uh, medium extra fast, which is a little heavier. But I was actually throwing a rattle bait on it and or a small rattle bait like number four probably size and uh was using that just so i could work the bait a little bit better but it still had enough play that i wasn't ripping hooks out of their mouth so having a longer rod with a you know medium light to medium fast or medium extra fast i should say just something with a good good taper on it so that you can absorb those head shakes from those fish even though they're smaller they're mean and i know a lot of people that have lost fish right by the hole because they're using that you know, a 26 to 28 inch broomstick that's just going to rip the spoon right out of their mouth or plain hook, whatever you got down there. And then number two, because I like using braid a lot, 
just because I like to make sure I have the hook driven home when I set the hook. And a lot of times we'll up, or upsize our trebles just because a lot of them come in super fast and a lot of times they don't get a good grip on the hook or they don't get a good grip on the spoon. And you'll rip the spoon right off them because they'll come in and T-bone it or they'll grab the head and they won't have that hook in their mouth. So if you have a little bit bigger treble, you have a better chance of hooking it. And then usually I'm throwing, um, if I'm not using a rattle bait, they're kind of not wanting to come and hit it. I'll switch to a buckshot, quarter ounce or eighth ounce. We've been messing around with the new super glow colors. Those worked really good last week or the red um, glass buckshot. Red buckshot is the staple for Red Lake. I don't care how long you've been fishing or if you haven't, you need to try one because that bait is the most tried and true bait on that lake. And I will stand by that till the day they close it or till the day they put me in the ground because that bait is the number one, in my opinion, on that lake. For you on Red Lake, like how often does color make the difference over size, profile, cadence, and those types of things? Yeah, It seems like um, if it's not red, white works really good. I think it just has to do with the stain of the water, what they're feeding on out there. But red just seems to work, whether it's dirty, whether it's clear, sunny, or cloudy. They just really like the color that red looks down in the water up there. Definitely, I think a lot of people like to get those recommendations because... It's not always a color deal on other bodies of water, right? Like people might have something in their tackle box and they might not, you know, have quite the variety because color in a lot of cases isn't isn't that far up the priority list to have a whole lot. But with Red Lake, how comical it's called Red Lake. I wonder if that has anything to do with <laughs> giving somebody confidence in a red lure. But I've definitely heard that before. So I think I think they could probably take that to the bank uh, as a good recommendation for color on Red Lake for Red Lake walleyes for sure, man. But, um, you know, anything else like Red Lake, like, you know, looking at Red Lake, big picture here, you know, just the, just the good, uh, you know, the, the, the good recommendations. You're talking about the patterns for the early ice and where these fish are, are going to be located, the depth zones, the type of things to look for above the ice, give you a good you know, good direction on places to start. And we're talking about, you know, working the crowd or getting, getting away from people a little bit, um, to help you find some fresh fish, all those good things, man. Any, anything else? Just finding fresh ice, basically just somewhere that hasn't been drilled down. Something that isn't getting driven over or driven by is just, is honestly your biggest key to success out there and not overthinking it. Like I, a lot of guys, I know they want to get out as far as they can to get away from people. Most of the times that's not the case. You know, you don't have to go far from shore. Just get to that eight to 10 feet of water right on the main break. Maybe find a, just a, anything different in uh, bottom structure there. And those fish are going to be cruising along there. So it's not, it's not rocket science. Just find somewhere fresh. Just get away from noise. Something a little bit different for structure wise. Set up and see what happens. Right on. Right on, man. I love it. With a little bit of time left here. Um, I was hoping maybe we could talk Lake of the Woods again. I know last time I had you on, we were, it was open water, but we were talking Lake of the Woods. I'm hoping that you've maybe got some experience or there's, there's some things along the same lines. You know, we're talking Red Lake at this point, but, but uh, you know, Lake of the Woods. I, I haven't talked Lake of the Woods yet with anybody, and I don't know when I'm going to get to next. So 
I'm hoping that we can you can give me a little bit of a rundown, sort of a list of of things that uh, topics that you like to talk about when we're talking Lake of the Woods along the same lines. Anything there? The best bite I've had out there probably for early ice was just right out of Pine Island. You know, a lot of those shiners were up on the river, and a lot of fish were up the river for the fall run. Or we're starting to dump back in, and just fishing out front of. Uh, not Morris Gap, but the Lighthouse Gap. We just fished probably, I'd say, 20 to 22 feet during the day. We'd pick some good ones off, and then we'd slide up to 17, well, 15 to 17 feet in the evening just to try to pluck a big one off. And we actually ended up finding some big pike and eel pout in there too. But we used to, you know, get a 27, 28-incher, you know, not every time we were there, but quite a few times we got some good ones just hanging around there and plenty of eaters to boot too and you didn't have to go far out so that can be a really good bite early ice as well and i know a lot of guys are ice fishing the river too which can be good especially last year when a lot of those fish seem to stay in the river all winter long compared to moving back to the lake just because the bait was there along with current kind of keeping them pushed all in there but um, right out in front of pine island right off the back can be really good Right on, man. And, um, like for that same thing, like, you know, that early ice out there, I mean, is that a kind of a bite where you're moving and grooving a lot? Are you drilling more holes to find fish? Like, like maybe some of the, that, the, that overall strategy for sort of breaking that bite down. Um, how does that look for you? Are you a little bit more patient? You drill less holes? Like, like, what does that look like? The nice thing is you're fishing a little bit deeper. So they're not as spooky, so you don't have to move around as much or get away from as many people. And it seems that the pods of fish are a lot bigger up there. So if you do land on them, you know, you're marking fish every five minutes or so or getting one or at least seeing something every five minutes. So you don't have to move around as much. And a lot of times we just set up, we'd maybe move once or twice and then go up shallow for the evening bite. But it seems you can be a little bit more patient up there. Yeah, that would be like two different worlds. It's like being on two different planets, that Lake of the Woods and that Red Lake, where it, you know, the deeper body of water, totally different. I mean, you're talking about a, you know, you know, the river system as far as the, the the fish pattern. You know, it's like transition time, and and um, but just the sheer numbers of fish on Lake of the Woods can just be such a blast. You know, when you're in that right area at a right time, fish are hungry. Like, just what what, and then the the chance at just like an over-the-top lunker i mean i just think like you know just lake of the woods that's just what I, that's just what gets me fired up when i'm thinking lake of the woods for sure yeah you always have that shot at a 30 plus out there no matter if you're on there in the ice or the open water there's always a very good chance you're at least gonna see one or get a shot of one to eat so yeah man and is there anybody up there right now is there any good reports coming out of that part of the world right now i haven't really seen that much but i also don't always look like if i'm not going there myself i don't always look is there any good is there any good ice reports right now like current from up there i know a few guys were getting on the river um getting a few um i know guys were spearing but uh i think she's a little uh little busted up out front yet for guys to get out and uh adventure out there but i would think here in the next week or two it should be good to go yeah yeah, we're right on the cusp of that, for sure. But uh, anyways, yeah, dude, any, I don't know. I guess I'll leave it to you. Any, you know, you, you've kind of been on the, here's one for you. Like, you've been on the the, uh, the sports show run. Um, I know, you know, the kind of sports show season here the last uh, 
you know, a couple of months anyways, and, um, and you get around, have you had any fun or interesting conversations or topics? Are you fielding any, any questions that really stick out in your head as being real insightful? Just any, you know, anything along those lines, any, any topic, something that we haven't talked about, doesn't even have to be Red Lake or Lake of the Woods related at all, but just anything ice fishing that you find to be interesting, um, you know, some conversations you've been involved in lately, anything like that? Yeah, well, it's kind of cool because, you know, up here it's, you know, the majority of the people you talk to have been, you know, to Red Lake or Lake of the Woods, you know, because it's so close. But I was actually down at the uh, Dakota Angler Institute, and I went I went down there for a Friday night, did a seminar there, talked to a few people, and then I went up to Thorn Brothers to do a seminar for the Crappy Chronicles event there. And I did a uh, seminar there on early ice red lake you know and you know i asked guys like well you guys have all you know fished up red lake and lake the woods and stuff before right and i don't think a single head shook yes (laughs) (laughs) and i was just like that's funny and i was like awesome because we're gonna have a great you know half hour 45 minute conversation about this because this like it just was super cool just to talk to people that haven't done it so i could tell them you know, just break it down for them of what to do, what to find, what to use, what what it's like. You know, it's just kind of cool not just just to say, yeah, we go there. We, you know, we yeah. go there all the time, blah, 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 blah. We don't, you know, it's just kind of cool to just kind of share experiences and stuff just like we did with all of them in the room, too. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's like. If you get too localized, you're just in those echo chambers. I think, you know, you know, as a as an angler, you know, you're in the industry. So you get to have those experiences. I think that's a really insightful and it's good for your perspective too, like or just any individual. It's like if you never travel outside of your bubble and you never talk to anybody, you don't pay attention to, you know, the the media production, you know, the stuff that's out there, conversations like this, like it you know so many anglers can just really get in that rut you know you're just really stuck in that rut and 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 so many people are and that's fine i mean until you get exposed to the you know the outside you know anything outside of that bubble it, it really doesn't matter it's not offensive that somebody's just you know fishes the same place in the same spot on the same lake with the same lure like their whole life like that that's fine um, but man, like, you know, it, it, when you're, when you're really trying to test yourself and you're trying to fish and, and, and even if your intentions are just to get better at some home body of water, that's just in your backyard, it's amazing how like hearing those insights and personal stories from out, away from there, but there's, you, there's things you can always take away from that. And in a lot of cases, you know, just a good fishing conversation is just a good fishing conversation. And, you know, whether it inspires you to go to that body of water and do that thing as it should. That's great, but if not, there's always stuff you can take from just good, good fishing information and stories that comes from experience and and just all that, all those good things. So I don't know. I always take a lot away from it, whether it's real specific to a body of water or not. I find that stuff to be, I find that stuff to be super entertaining. But anyways, Will, that's kind of my closing thing, and and I'm glad that uh, you know I I only had two notes written down. I had Red Lake. And Lake of the Woods. <laughs> so that's the only ink I have written on this little piece of paper with your name on it. I was like, if we can talk about Red Lake, get some stories. If we can talk at all about Lake of the Woods and get some stories there, that'd just be great. You know, our timing is really, really good. So unless something else pops into your head, something you just like to get off your chest or anything, recommendations or anything like that, we can totally do it. 
Otherwise, we can close it out, promote yourself, where people can find you if they have questions or anything like that or just want to follow along. Um, however you want to close it out, man. I will just leave it with a good piece of advice. It's just you learn a lot more with your mouth shut and your ears open. You can look me up at uh, Walleye Will Fishing on Instagram or just Will Papapoose on Facebook as well as iCrazy Guide Service on there. Um, just look me up on either one of those and we should be able to take care of you from there. Right on, man. Dude, I appreciate the time, Will. 